Okay. As I'm sure everyone is aware, the, uh, the coronation has very much been front and center this weekend, hasn't it? Whether, as has been mentioned already, depending, you know, some people might have engaged with it much more than others. Some people might have different thoughts than others about it. We, have, we all have our own thoughts, but it has very much, hasn't it, kind of dominated what's been going on over this weekend, this uh, historical, key historic moment. And what has been actually really amazing, particularly from what I've seen on social media, at least with the people I follow, that with the coronation, it's brought up a lot of uh, conversations um, about Jesus as king. So while this coronation has been front and centre, it feels like Jesus as king has been pulled front and centre as well. And, you know, we've been singing already, haven't we? A lot of our worship this morning and a lot of the things that we've been sharing have been uh, coming from that, that wonderful truth that Jesus is king uh, as we see him as he truly is. One of the things that I became aware of on social media before the coronation, someone had posted about the liturgy, so the order of service and the things that were going to be included in the coronation service. And a lot of people actually saying just how excellent it was in terms of the the gospel being shared uh, and how it presented the gospel, uh, how much it spoke of Jesus um, and of his kingship. And as I was reading a little bit, I didn't read all of it through, but I read a little bit. And even the very beginning, the welcome really stuck with me, stood out to me. Uh, And the welcome, when when King Charles came in, one of the choir boys, uh, one of the choristers, he welcomes the king. And he says, your majesty, as children of the kingdom of God, we welcome you in the name of the king of kings. That was how the king was, was welcomed in. We welcome you, not in your name, but in the name of the king of kings. And so in that first instance, the kingship of Jesus over everything has been established. And that even all the kings and queens and authorities and principalities and powers in in all around the world actually come under the headship of the king of kings. He is above all. And I loved it that just from the very beginning, you are welcomed here by the king of kings. He is the reason that you are here. And this morning, I want us to really continue what we've already started today. I want us to take some time to look upon the King of Kings. To see him as he truly is. To think about what it means for him to be the King of all creation. We were singing that song a little earlier, Majesty. Uh, and, And part of that, it's all about actually... Uh, lifting up his name, glorifying Jesus, let's exhort him, let's praise him. And I think actually to be able to do that, we need to, to look at him and we need to see him as he is. And so my heart, my hope for today is that as we do so, it just stirs us again in fresh worship, in being those that lift up his name, being those who make him known, who glorify him, uh, and really just seeing him as king on the throne. So as I was thinking, okay, had that in mind, where do we go in the scriptures? Because Jesus' kingship runs throughout the whole of scripture. Sometimes when you're coming to talk, you know roughly where you're going to come from, but actually we want to talk about Jesus as king of kings. Where do we go? Because the whole of scripture, the kingship of Jesus runs through. One of the things I came across on Twitter, uh, someone called Alistair Roberts, uh, he's a, an author, uh, and he says that the Gospels should largely be read as accounts of a coronation, about the lifting up, the enthronement and crowning with glory and honour of Jesus. Christ's baptism, his transfiguration on the mount, 
his disfiguration at Calvary, his resurrection and his ascension are all stages of the coronation of Jesus as king. That's what the Gospels are. There was a lot of words in there that we think, oh, there's a lot of words, uh, and some of which maybe we're not sure what they mean or what they're about, and that's okay because we're not going to try and cover all of that. Uh, but actually, we are going to spend some time in one of the Gospels because it does speak of the coronation of Jesus. And we're going to be in John's Gospel account. But before that, I want us to just turn to Isaiah 61, a passage of Scripture that should be very familiar uh, to us now, as it's been very much at the... Uh, at the, the center of our Kingdom Come series as we've been looking at the Kingdom of God. And so actually we're talking about Jesus as King. Uh, it fits really well, doesn't it, that we've been thinking about His Kingdom and what we can expect when His Kingdom comes. So let's just read through the first three verses uh, and then we'll, we'll go from there. So Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I think very early in our series, I think it was Mike who showed, helpfully showed us that when uh, Jesus takes these scriptures, there's a moment where Jesus takes these scriptures, these verses, and publicly he applies them to himself. He says, these are the scriptures that speak of me. This is what it is that I have come to do. I have come to bring in a new rule and a new reign to establish a new kingdom. And we, again, right at the early parts of our series, we looked at the fact that a kingdom reflects the king. It reflects something of who the king is, of something of what the king is about. And so when, in these uh, verses here in Isaiah, what we see really is this is Jesus' mandate as king. This is what I have come to do, to establish this kingdom that reflects something of who I am, of what is important to me. We see God's kingdom, we see God's presence, we see justice, peace, healing, salvation and deliverance, comfort and joy. And those are the things we've been exploring together, aren't they, over the last few months. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. It's not everything that the kingdom of God looks like, but it's definitely a big part of that. And Jesus' ministry was about proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom wherever he went. Seeing justice break in, bringing peace to those who needed it, bringing healing to those who were sick, bringing salvation, bringing comfort, bringing joy. That's what Jesus did. He proclaimed it with his words, but he also demonstrated it through action and through miraculous wonders. And as kingdom life breaks in, as Jesus' ministry spreads, there are some key leaders who wanted to have him killed. Because they were threatened by Jesus, by what he was doing. And this is where we come to John's Gospel. John chapter 18. We're going to read quite a few verses of this, but I want to just help us to just sit a little bit in the Gospels as we look upon Jesus as King. So Jesus then, he's brought 
before Pilate, this group who want him killed. And this is what we see. So John 18, verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would, not, uh, would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple, cloak, in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, king of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again, said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the king of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend, and everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place they called the place of skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And then Jesus is crucified, he died, 
his body taken down and laid in a tomb. See this imagery of kingship. If anyone watched the coronation yesterday, they would have seen crowns and robes and scepters and cries of praise to the king. We see that imagery here. We see that Jesus had a crown on his head, not a crown of gold, but a crown of thorns. Purple robes laid on in purple, the, the colour of royalty. Cries of hail, the king of the Jews. But these, none of this was about celebration. This was all about mockery. This was all about shaming Jesus. And really that's what crucifixion was all about. Crucifixion was, sh was shameful. It was a shameful way to die. It was public. You were exposed. There was no way that you could hide. And you were there for everyone to see. Your guilt and your sin and your shame exposed. And this imagery of kingship, this crown of thorns, these purple robes, this, these cries of hail the king of the Jews, it was all mockery. It was all done to bring shame. It was all done to bring embarrassment. It was all done to point out the foolishness of what Jesus was doing. But what they hadn't realised is that in their attempts to mock and shame what they were doing was in fact proclaiming the truth. They didn't know it. They were trying to shame Jesus, but the truth is that Jesus is king. And through their actions, though they didn't know it, that is what they were pointing to. This, I just find it incredible. This, this part where this sign that Pilate has written, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, and the people come to him and say, no, don't, no, don't put that, you've, you've made a mistake there. You need to say, this man says he is the king of the Jews. Pilate says, no, I've written it now, it's up there, I'm not taking it down. And so it becomes, even in that moment, not this, this is, this is Jesus claims to be the king of the Jews. Actually, there's a statement of, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And so again, even in their attempts to, to shame him, and in their attempts to mock him, nailed to the cross with Jesus was this truth of his kingship. See, God is working even in these moments. God is at work. In these moments, does he look like a king? Is this is what, was this what people would have expected of their king? Even for Jesus' friends and his followers who were looking on at the minute and they'd heard these wonderful things that Jesus had said and they'd seen these wonderful things that Jesus had done. In that moment, would they have seen him as king in, the, in that place and in that state where he was? Just going back to the, the bit I shared about the welcome, the liturgy and the coronation service, about how uh, the King of Kings was welcomed. Uh, sorry, the King was welcomed in the name of the King of Kings. And then the King's reply is this In the name and after his example, I come not to be served, but to serve. So, again, straight away at the beginning of this coronation service, there's a statement of actually, I'm going to look to Jesus, the King of Kings. He is my example of what it is not to be served, but to be one who serves. In Mark chapter 10, if we can have that first up, please. 
Janet, we have this situation that happens where Jesus is with his disciples and there's this kind of this conversation that goes on where two of them are asking, can I be seated at your right hand and then my brother be seated at your left hand when we're in glory? Uh, and then quite rightly, the rest of the disciples are like, whoa, hang on a minute. Why do you think, like they're pretty indignant that they would even ask this of Jesus. And yet in the midst of this, Jesus presents this wonderful gospel reality that actually our lives are to be those that are laid out for others. We're to be those who serve rather than be served. And Jesus said this of himself, to look to him, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. But he doesn't finish there, does he? He says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is what Jesus' servanthood looked like. Not to, not to be served, but actually to give of himself to the very extent that he would lay down his life as a ransom for others, to give of himself for others, not to receive for himself, but to give. Does this look like a king? One who would not put up a fight? In those verses that we read in that gospel account, don't we see there are times where Jesus is given a way out many times, but he chooses to remain quiet, he chooses not to respond, or he just allows these things to happen to him. And the reason why he does this is because this is the very reason why he came, was to lay down his life as a ransom for many. During the coronation service yesterday, there were a few moments through where there were cries, weren't they, of God save the king. It was part of the thing, people proclaiming, God save the king, God save the king. In Luke's gospel account of the, of the crucifixion in chapter 23, I was reminded of this as I was hearing those cries of God save the king. There were these uh, cries that came out in, as the, from the soldiers who were looking on at Jesus. We read of this in Luke chapter 23, where they say to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. If you are who you say you are, save yourself and bring yourself down from the cross. Essentially prove to us then, if you're saying this is who you are, then prove to us that that is who you are. Not cries of God save the king, but cries of if you are the king, then save yourself. If he had done it, it would have shown everyone who he is. It would have done. He would have demonstrated his power. He would have demonstrated his authority. He would have demonstrated his might to those who were there. And yet he chose to stay where he was. He chose to stay where he was. He allowed himself to die. And John 10, verse 10, tells us why he allowed himself to die. Earlier on in his ministry, Jesus said that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus the King laid down his life and gave his life so that we could receive life and have life in him. Sometimes, I don't know whether it's just portrayed on films or uh, in, in kind of literature, we might have this sort of a caricature of the king who uh, just does acts of generosity just to, just to keep people on, on his sweet side, just maybe a little bit of charity here, a few morsels here or there, just to, to you know, show that he cares or just to help people in, in a little way. But actually, that is so not the picture of Jesus as king. He's not a king who just gives out a little bit of charity here or there or a little morsel of something good. He came to give life, not in little parts, but life in fullness. 
in a way that we've never experienced life before. Just before Jesus was crucified, if we went back, I think it's in John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father. And he actually says to the Father, he's speaking about what this life, this fullness of life looks like. And he says, and this is eternal life, to know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. That is the fullness of life that Jesus came to lay down his life so that we would receive eternal life, to know the one, only, true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. But it meant that he had to lay down his life in order that we would receive life. The king's response to that liturgy, just going back uh, just for a moment, he says, in his name and after his example, I come not to be served, but to serve. He's saying, I'm going to look to Jesus as my example of how I should, how I should lead, of how I should be, of what a life lived for God looks like. So we're to look to Jesus as our example. And this is what Paul calls the Philippian church to do. How would you mention Philippians 2? I think a little earlier. So let's spend a bit of time in Philippians 2. Because this is exactly what Paul calls the church to do. From verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, from death comes life. From cries of despair come cries of delight. From apparent defeat comes total, overwhelming victory. From lowliness comes exaltation. Because on the third day, the tomb became empty as Jesus the King walks out. Sin paid for. Death overcome. A promise of resurrection life for all who believe on him. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In his humility, in his lowliness, in his giving of himself, in his laying down of his life, through his obedience, through his sacrifice, God the Father takes that and lifts him up and exalts him. And he's now seated in the highest place. King of kings, the Lord of lords, ruler over all creation. I just want to take us back for a second to that sign that was put above Jesus on the cross. I don't know if you noticed this. It, 
I've not really thought about this so much, but it struck me as I was reading it through this time. It says that those words, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, it says it was written in Aramaic, it says it was written in Latin, and it says it was written in Greek as well. So Aramaic would have been so understood uh, by the Jewish population in Palestine. In Latin was the language of the occupiers of Rome. And then in Greek was like the, the international language of the empire, if you like. So it would have been widely understood by both Jews and, and Gentiles, non-Jews alike. So essentially, in it being written in all three language, languages, it meant that it would have given the widest possible awareness for the reason of Jesus' crucifixion. It's the reason why it was put on there. When people were crucified, it was told what, it, what crime they had committed as to why they had been crucified. But in this instance, it was written in in those three languages to give the widest possible awareness of the reason for Jesus' crucifixion, the widest possible uh, spreading of shame that there could have been. And what struck me as I thought about this is again that what was intended for shame was actually a declaration of Jesus as King, not just to one people, not just to one group, but to all who, had, who would have read it and understood it. But not only that, it was a declaration that Jesus is to be king, or is king, not just of one people, not just of one group, but for all who would receive him as king. It's, it's glorious. What was intended for shame actually is statements of profound truth about who Jesus is, of what he had come to do, and of the far-reaching consequences and impact of effect of that. Not just for one people group, not just for one nation, but for all. See, through Jesus' life, through his death and through his resurrection, he has made a way for all to come. We have Revelation chapter 7 up, please, Janet. Thank you. This is the vision that John sees. What will happen when Jesus returns and his kingdom is, is fully realised, the fullness of the kingdom has come. What do we see? We don't just see one nation. We don't just see one town. We don't just see one people group who God has gathered to himself. You see this. This is what Paul saw. After this I looked, and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and, and to the Lamb. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue before Him. This is what Jesus' obedience has brought about. This is what Jesus' obedience has opened a way to. Going back to that welcome liturgy for the king. You are welcome here in the name of the king of kings. As we stand before the throne of God, it's not a you are welcome here because of what you have done. It's not a welcome here because you've been faithful in these things. It's a you are welcome here in the name of the king of kings. He is the only way by which we can come and stand before the throne of God. He is the only way by which we can come and be a part of his kingdom. His people, made up of every nation, tribe, and tongue. 
Because he is the king of kings of an everlasting kingdom. A kingdom that will not fade or perish or fail in any way. He is he's king of kings. There are none that compare to him. I was thinking about what it must have been like in the, not just the night before, but the days leading up to the coronation. How much preparation would have been involved? How much attention and focus would have been on the king himself? Him knowing exactly what it was that he needed to do, but everyone else knowing what do we need to do to make sure everything goes as it should. And the king is presented as he is. So much of the attention, so much of the, the uh, focus is on him in that moment. And yet in the abbey where the, the service, the, the coronation was taking place, right before the altar, right at the front. If anyone was watching, did you see what was displayed in front of the altar? This beautiful imagery of the Last Supper. That the focal point is Jesus breaking bread with his disciples. That's what Jesus was doing the night before he was crucified. That's what was happening the night before these, this, um, the, the king of kings was nailed to a cross. You see, the night before the crucifixion, Jesus is with his friends. Jesus is with his disciples. He knows what was to come. He knows what, was, was, what lay ahead of him. He knew what was going to be happening. He knew what it would cost him. He knew what it would demand of him. He knew what he would have to be obedient to. Yet the king spends time with his friends, comforting them, encouraging them, preparing them for what lay ahead. What a glorious king we have. It wasn't about, it wasn't about him making sure everything from his perspective was, the, the attention was on him and, and making sure that everything was going to be done to, to just in the same way that perhaps it would have been in, for earthly kings and queens in their coronation. He's like, I want to be with my friends and I want to encourage them and I want to... Realising that they're, they're, they don't understand what is going on and I want to comfort them and I want to prepare them because I know what lay ahead of them. But not only that, do you know what? He tells them of the part that they have to play in seeing his kingdom come. I don't think they fully realised at that point everything that Jesus was saying. I know that's true, the scriptures tell us they didn't understand everything that was happening. But in that moment, the king said, I'm going to have to go. Why? But because you've got a part to play in seeing my kingdom come. And actually, if I go, it's better that I go. Because then the spirit will come and when the spirit comes, then you can, you can take this kingdom, you can take this gospel to the very ends of the earth. I just think that's, doesn't that just speak so much of our king's heart that in those final moments that night before his crucifixion he was wanting to minister and love his friends well and prepare his friends well for what lay ahead it wasn't about him it was about what he had come to do which was to give of himself and to lay down his life as a ransom for many not to be served but to serve this is Jesus King of Kings. Shall we come and break bread? And let's spend some time reflecting on Jesus.
looking upon the King of Kings and realising that this King of Kings humbled himself, taking on the role of a servant, humbling himself to the point of death on a cross. I'm not sure we can fully grasp the wonder of that, that the king of all creation chose to come and give everything. Mike a little earlier in the meeting was saying about actually what it was that Jesus did deserve, but he actually endured what he didn't deserve so that we wouldn't have to. So can, if there's a few, a couple of folks, can, I think there's um, trays with bread and wine at the back. Can we um, have those handed out, please? We've just in the, in the verse part of that song, we were singing um, um, Majesty, Kingdom, Authority flows from his throne unto his own. Jesus has given all authority to those who are his to see his kingdom come and to see his kingdom advance, to see his kingdom grow. Just as he was telling his disciples in that last supper of what he had for them to do, that's what all of us have been called to. With Christ as Lord, with Jesus as Lord of our lives, we are called to, to, to advance his kingdom. Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus says, The Holy Spirit will come on you and you will be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. There's a part for you to play when, when the Spirit comes. Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. There's this pouring out of authority from the King to his people to see his kingdom come. John chapter 14 Verse 12. John chapter 14, verse 12. This is just amazing. <laughs> Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. See. Jesus returning to the Father was not a ceasing of things, but actually it was a, an increasing of his kingdom reach, of his kingdom come. That actually, if we believe in him, we will also do the works that he does, but greater works than we saw. We'll be doing those. So actually, I just wanted to draw us to this point where yes, we want to see Jesus as King of Kings, we want, him to, we want him to be glorified, amen? We want him to be magnified. We want him to be seen as the exalted king over all creation. And yet at the same point to realise that Jesus, the king of kings, has delegated, given us authority to do the same things that he would do. To go and make disciples to the very ends of the earth. That picture of every nation, tribe and tongue, how's that going to come about unless every, every people group reached to the very ends of the earth. When um, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, 
one of the very first things in the Lord's Prayer that we see. What do we see? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That is what we had to pray to God the Father, that your kingdom would come, your rule and reign, in ever-increasing reach, to ever-increasing degrees, that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I just felt, actually, I wanted to, yes, we, it's right that we've looked to Jesus as King and we want to worship Him and we want to honour Him and we want to glorify Him. But I think when we're talking about the King, we can't separate that from His kingdom. And so actually, we want to see His kingdom come. And we want more and more people to, that sounds too weedy a way to put it, more and more people. Don't we want to see people coming to coming under the kingship and lordship of Jesus and becoming part of his kingdom. So 